Successful people learn how to make their mind work for them. I'm David Nagel, and this is the Successful Mind Podcast. explain psychological reciprocity and I want to explain how to handle objections, how to see the truth in an objection so that you understand what you're dealing with. Because the biggest, one of the biggest problems that that a salesperson has is how do I understand what the problem is so that I can help solve the problem? You have to be able to see the truth in what a person's telling you in order to be able to help them solve the problem. Because if a person's making up an excuse, the salesperson's like, okay, I need to help them solve this problem, but you don't realize it's an excuse. So you start trying to solve something that's not real to begin with. But let me start off with with psychological reciprocity. So I had this experience, I think it was back in 98, 99, more to think about it, I think it was 98, 99. I was doing, uh, I was uh, at a seminar with Bob Proctor in Tacoma, Washington. It was a science of getting rich seminar. We had about 1,700 people in the room for this event. And here's what I want you to think about it for, especially for those of you that, that are coaches or do seminars. Back then, we didn't sell coaching. We didn't have mastermind packages that were sold. We didn't sell coaching. There were no upsells like that at all. Everything that was upsold was actually like boxed tape programs, right? So, Proctor had like six or eight of them, you know, when I hear the science of getting rich, born rich, uh, your winner's image. He had a success series, which was uh, cassette tapes and then became CDs that you, that you listen to like on money and confidence and, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, in, order to, in order to really make a, a significant profit, you had to sell a lot of this stuff in the back of the room to make the profit. So... The way that these seminars would be laid out would basically be this. You'd pay your ticket price to come. Uh, we were doing, we were doing uh, uh, in, the, in the rounds, so it's round tables instead of theater seating. And when you would get to the event, the first day of the event, when you would come down out of your hotel room and, and go into the ballroom for the event, we would have this green burlap bag on your chair. I think we put it on the chair. It had a nice shoulder strap on it. it. It was embroidered. It said SGR for the science of getting rich, and it was it was big. Like it, you could put you could put all of the seminar materials in there, and there was still room. Like if you wanted to buy some stuff in the back, you could actually put that in there also. And the materials were really big back then. You know, like the this the the bind the um, the workbook. For the science of getting rich was in a big chunky three ring binder and then you got a another uh, plastic case that had you know 15 cassette tapes in it, it you know plus your notepad a pen whatever you know it was it was a lot so this seminar we get there and because i'm working it at in the seminar uh with them at the time and the bags didn't show up they're lost in shipping or there's a delay in shipping or, or whatever. Now, this is a significant thing to them because they've never had this happen before. And they think to themselves, oh, shit, like, are people going to be pissed off that they have to carry all this stuff? But keep this in mind. They didn't know they were getting the bag to begin with. Because one of the things that we used to do was that every time we would go on break, when 
when the, 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 the attendees would come back, there would be another gift on their chair. It might be a notepad or it might be a pen that said, you know, SGR on it, Bob Proctor, all different kinds of things. There was also the little green book of, of the science of getting rich. So every time they would come back from break for, for three and a half days, there would be another little gift on their seat. This was not in the program description when they purchased it, that they were getting any of this. The only thing that they knew that they were getting was their, their workbook for the, for the seminar. So it would make people happy. People like, oh, look, I got this little pen or whatever. You know, I mean, it was, they were, they were happy about it. But they didn't know that they were getting the bag. So very often what happens is that sometimes we get so stuck in doing something the same way that we start to think, we start to create a story like, if I don't do it this way, what could go, what's going to go wrong? People aren't going to buy, they're not going to be happy, you know, all these stories are going through everybody's mind. When in reality, a lot of times when a little crisis like this happens, it actually teaches you something much bigger and much better that you would have never done because you weren't forced to do it. And that's what happened with this bag. So the psychological law of reciprocity is a subsidiary law of the law of cause and effect. And the idea is that when you induce certain feelings in a person, they automatically were programmed to respond in a grateful way of some kind. If I give you something, very often a person then feels impelled, but in a good way, to give something back. They move into the want part of their personality. They want to give back. They feel good about themselves. They feel significant about themselves. Uh, they feel special. So the second day is coming around, the bags still aren't in. Word is it's, they're going to show up sometime around lunchtime. So they get, we get the bags, and they're all underneath the table. You know, you've got, you've got skirted tables in the back, so you can't see what's underneath these tables. But during, during one of the breaks or whatever, or maybe it was at the end of lunch, uh, the, the the guys that were working the event, they brought all brought these bags and put them underneath underneath the tables in the back room. The original thought was, was that instead of just handing them out because we were running out of time, we were just going to let people on their way out from the break, we would stack the bags up on the table in the back. You would just grab a bag and go on about your business. <clears throat> but Mark, who was the guy that worked for Proctor at the time that we actually ran all the seminar stuff, he decides that he's going to be a little silly. And really, he was that's all he was doing. He was just being silly. He did not, there was no forethought to this idea. So right before we go on break, he gets up on stage with one of these bags. And he's like, Bob just had these bags made. And they're, look, they're durable. And he's opening it up. And he's like, you could put all this stuff in it. It's got this beautiful embossed or, or embroidered, SGR on it and the shoulder strap. Well, he's doing the whole Vanna White thing, right? Like he's, you would swear he's going to sell this bag because it looks like he's actually pitching the bag. And then he says, after he does this for a few minutes, he goes, and guess what? We're going to give one to every person in the audience. And holy shit, you'd have thought we were handing out gold bars. I am not even kidding. They went nuts. Not only did they go nuts for the bags, we sold out completely in the back of the room, which never happened. It just didn't happen. So 
we were like, holy cow, this is, I mean, this is absolutely amazing that this happened. And the part of the part of the thing around this, I mean, if you want to think about the margins, how tight the margins are on this, it probably costs somewhere between 150000 and 200000 Well, maybe not that much because we didn't have the kind of AV back then that we do today. But it was it was definitely well over six figures to put on an event for seventeen hundred people. Okay, it's it's quite it's quite expensive, uh, and you have to make that up somewhere, right? Because it's not just about having enough just to pay for the event. You want to make a profit, and you want to make a significant profit. Like all the people that are working there, you have to get paid. You know, the, you're paying for your airline tickets, the travel, travel for the team. It's it's very expensive deal, and we're only making the profit, probably probably very little, if any, off of the ticket price, because they want to keep the ticket price competitive. But then on the other side of it, when you sell all this product in the back of the room, that's kind of where your profit's coming from. But it's so tight that this is what this is what Mark used to do. If if we had product left over, he would give it away. For the, we would just hand it out to the audience. You know, Bob would get up and be like, I'm going to give you free gifts. You know, I'm going to give one to your friends, give one to your family, whatever. It didn't matter how many people bought. It was cheaper to give it away than it was to ship it back to the office. Literally cheaper to give it away. I mean, it was cheaper to go buy new product than it was to ship all of that, any of that stuff back. So when this happened, it really, it was like, okay, they're, they're on to something here. Now, it was very different back then because... When you went to an event, you didn't get anything. There was no food. You know, you were lucky if you got water when you went to a seminar. Um, you know, today they feed you and they give you all this stuff or whatever. Back then, it just didn't happen. So when you got something like this, it was a big deal. And they kept it, the bag as a giveaway thing for a number of years until it then became an expectation. So once your giveaway becomes an expectation. You have to change it and you have to do something else. But the whole idea is basically this. If you can induce psychological reciprocity, either in the sale or in your marketing or when you're talking to people, it really does enhance their significance and make them feel special. And you will find that it will increase your sales. It's another one of those things that's kind of like a feather in your cap in the plan for what you're doing to increase the productivity as far as how much you're you're actually earning and increase the 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 buyers whether it's just one person or you're working with a room full of a few thousand people now here's the deal when anybody is buying something we run into the part of the sale where there's we you call it we call it an objection that's the that's the term in the industry right somebody is objecting to purchasing whatever it is that you have. The first thing, the first thing that's extremely important is for you to know or have a really good idea of this. Is the objection real or is it an excuse because they just can't say no? That's the, that's the first thing, right? Because if it's an excuse that they can't say no and you start to try to solve their problem, you're just, it's a tremendous waste of time. If they're no, they're no. That's fine that they're no. But let them go do whatever it is that they're going to do. And you focus on somebody who wants to buy. However, when you actually get into the objection itself, you basically have, you have two kinds of objections. You have one that is what we would call a psychological block. And you have another one, which is 
uh, it's more of a circumstantial type of an objection. A circumstantial type of object, objection is, I really want to do this, but I don't know where to find the time. I don't know how to find the money. I don't know how to convince my partner or my spouse to do this. A psychological block is that they're convincing themselves for whatever reason not to move forward. So here's the way that you deal with these two things. First of all, let's say somebody says that they have a money objection. In order to find out if it's a money objection, and you can do this with any objection that a person gives you, we ask what we call a split question, okay? Here's a, here's a real truth about the human brain. It would appear that we can think about two things at the same time, but that's actually not true. It's just that our mind can bounce back and forth between two separate things so fast, it would give us the illusion that we could think about two things, but we really can't. We really cannot. So when a person lies to you, they're using a very different part of their brain than they are if they're giving you an answer that's real. They're in construction mode in their mind. They're constructing an answer. This is very different process than if I'm telling you something I already know. I have to access a different part of my brain to do this. Once I create the lie, I'm in a very vulnerable position. Because if a, if a person starts pushing back or asking other questions about this, I have to, number one, remember the original lie. Number two, I start having to construct in order, more lies in order for the first lie to make sense. So now I have to create a story out of nowhere, right, that actually makes some kind of sense. The further a person goes with this, the more difficult it becomes for the person to actually do it, unless they're a pathological liar, right? But for the average person, this is very difficult, especially when it's happening right on the spot. So you ask a split question because a split question will get you to the true answer with probably 98% of the people that you have a conversation with. And here's what it looks like. The person says, I'd love to do this. I just don't have the money. Or I'd love to do this, but it's too expensive. Your response would be some version of this. Is it that you don't have any money at all or you just don't have the money for this? Two very different questions, right? Now, if I'm lying to you, I'm in trouble because my response probably won't make sense. If a person says to you, I don't have any money at all, you know they're lying. If you, you don't have any money at all, how do you pay your rent? How do you keep your lights on? How do you make your car payment? How do you feed your family? The true answer is I don't have the money for this. But you will find out really quick when you ask a split question. It's no different. You can. It's the same thing with time, with anything. But what it does is it allows you to find out what the real objection is. And if you have a sense that the objection is that they just don't want to do it, they don't want to do it. No big deal. But if they are now moving into a psychological block where the problem is really that they don't want to spend the money or they don't want the pressure or they don't want the commitment or they're making an excuse about the time, now it's time to actually work with them to help them solve the problem so that they can make a decision.
every single time a person is going to move into any kind of growth, their mind is going to kick back some reason to rationalize for them to stay the same. It happens with every person. Some people can do it easier than others, like because they're, they're, they're consciously really aware that they're up against it, but most people aren't. And it doesn't matter how many times a person hears it either. The moment that you start talking about moving forward, it, it, it doesn't matter what you see. We sell the car. What comes up in their mind? It's what we call rationalization. In order to quit or to stay the same, your mind has to rationalize to you reasons why you do not move forward. The problem is, is we believe them and we stay the same. We don't move forward. We allow the side of us that doesn't want to change to hijack our conscious mind and stay in the same place. Now, if you're a salesperson, you have to understand something. This is extraordinarily powerful in the person that's having this experience that you're actually in conversation with. Their subconscious mind is doing everything that it can to convince them not to move forward. So from a fundamental perspective, your belief needs to be rock solid. It needs to be more solid than their belief. So your belief in why they can needs to be more solid than their belief in why they can't because they're gonna convince themselves not to do it. And that's what they do. They convince themselves. They say, I don't have the time. I don't have the money. I have to make other commitments. You know, and what it is, is that they're getting to the place in their mind where a change has to take place. They have to step into an uncomfortable place. And instead of standing into an uncomfortable place, it's like, it's like let's say you, you're going to exercise in the morning. You're going to go for a run or whatever. You know the place I'm talking about. Or when you're just laying in bed where that little voice is coming and go, no, just hit the snooze one more time. Now, don't, you don't need to run today. You ran all week. Take a day off, right? It, your subconscious is so insidious. It's always trying to tell you you've done enough. You don't need to do any more. Just take it easy. This is too much. You have to spend money on, you know, vacation this in the in this summer, so you can't pay for anything now. It's consistently trying to pull you back. The difference with people that have to come from an elite mindset is that they know this and they prepare for it. They do not tolerate that in their mind. They're like, "This is what I'm doing. You're not changing it." And of course, it's 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 completely about consistency. So when you're working with somebody in the sales uh, area, you don't want to get defensive when this happens. You need to come from a place of understanding. You need to understand that they don't understand. Your job is to help them walk into clarity. If, it, if, it is, if there is a reason for them to buy, if it is a reason to move forward, and they're aligned to themselves, your job is to help them see clearly how off their thinking is in this. Again, remember, in any sales conversation, the whole idea is that we bring clarity to the, to the, to the sale. I'm sorry, sorry, clarity to the mind of the person. It's, they want to be clear in their yes or clear in their no. An excuse is not clarity ever. Never. A no is clarity. 
a yes is clarity. I don't have the money. I don't have the time. Whatever, you know, whatever the excuse is that my spouse won't let me, you know, any excuse that you're hearing, that's not clarity. That is my subconscious mind has hijacked my rational thought, and I'm not actually thinking for myself. So understand whenever you see it, it's not clarity. And at the worst, it's not true. But a sales professional does not get agitated. They don't feel threatened. They don't take anything personally. They understand that this is human behavior. This is the nature of human beings. And your job is to get better and better and better at asking questions to help bring them clarity. So it's something that you just consistently work on till you get better. Now, you'll watch your sales go up dramatically when you do this. The other thing is, is that when you, another place where psychological reciprocity kind of fits into this is when you help someone break through a problem that they're having, that induces psychological reciprocity. All it is, is that it's kind of like, because you helped me, I want to help you back. And when you're talking about sales, it's an extraordinary thing. It's an extraordinary thing. Does it have to happen all the time? No, it doesn't. Sometimes it can be situational. And very often it changes if you're in an industry because what will happen is that once your industry finds out that something is working with psychological reciprocity, everybody will start doing it, but then it'll stop working. And that's one of the, you know, I mean, that's, that's just human behavior. Unfortunately, when somebody does something for the first time and then everybody starts doing it, they're followers. They're not leaders. They're simply followers. They're going to just do what somebody else is doing. They're not, they're not, they're just not thinking, you know, they're not thinking. They'll always be behind because they're following what somebody else is doing instead of thinking for themselves, what do I want to do? Where do I want to go? They're just looking for what works, you know, like who's doing what out there so I can figure out what works, but you're not thinking you're following which weakens your mind. It weakens it. it. It is quite the deal. Why? Because it takes work. It takes commitment. You've made the commitment to do it. You have no idea how far ahead you're going to be down the road because of your commitment to keep doing this. People don't. What do, you, what do they go back and do? Nothing. Allow crap to get in their mind. Go back to the routine before. It's about, it's about, it's not about like one stop, one shot type of a thing. It's a commitment to consistent growth for your lifetime. So it's kind of like, what really gets the results? Like, what are you really going to commit to? You know, you're going to only do it when it's comfortable? Or are you really going to commit to do something? And when you understand that, because I think one of the greatest benefits is when you do it, you can then go with full integrity to the people that you're selling and you can expect at a completely different level because you're, you're not telling somebody or asking something to, to, to do something that you haven't done. You know that you've done it. This gives you such an edge over the average person out there in your industry because you're doing something that they'll never do. Oh, I'll, I'll never do that. That's ridiculous. Get up in the morning, do that. Like, that's crazy. How much? You're out of your mind. Okay, you you keep earning what you're earning, right? You keep doing what you're doing. I was in a seminar one time. 
this woman in the front, it wasn't my seminar, it was Proctor's, this woman in the front, she's raising her hand like this, and he wasn't even taking questions yet. He said, can I help you? Do you have a question? And she said, I just want to know how long my husband has to keep doing this. And he says, only till he wants to, and then he doesn't have to anymore. And he started to go back to teach, and he said, he looked at, he looked at her, and he looked at the audience, and because the, the guy was going to seminars, right? So that's this is what he that's what she meant by it. And he said, I go to all of them. And the audience laughed, but some people in the audience, including me, understood how serious that was. He's an immersion. He's about becoming it. It's not like I'm going to read the book and then it's going to work, right? It doesn't work that way. It's about complete immersion in the thing that you want. Thanks for listening to the Successful Mind Podcast. And if you like what you heard and you want to know more, go to davidnagel.com forward slash free stuff.